in Zechariah that when he comes to stand on Mount Olive, that the response will be rivers of living water flowing to the east and flowing to the west. When he took his stand there, where King David once stood, he stood to bring us life. And uh, that's uh, where I'd like to go with you this morning. And uh, I have a different translation than you do, no fault of yours, but I work with a different translation than when I was invited to come to address you this morning. This is the translation I had with me. So I'll, uh, I'll read these words for you if you'll give me uh, your ear. It's from John chapter 12, 24 to 26. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. This is our text. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. It's a simple text. It's seven words. Three of the seven words are two letters. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. In other words, to serve Jesus is not to follow Jesus. I noticed on your sign when I drove in the driveway, serving God, serving our neighbors, isn't that what it says? Serving Jesus, he's saying, is not following Jesus. Now, I think that should get our attention. It certainly got my attention when I, when I first really took a look at it. Because we may think serving Jesus is following Jesus. Sometimes I think we even think following Jesus is singing songs about him and listening to sermons about him. Uh, praying in his name. Those are important. They're important to our Christian lives. They're part of a community of faith and, and, and gives to us a spirit of willingness to, to serve and to follow. But they're not following. If anyone serves me, one of my better understandings of this is if anyone pledges allegiance to me, if anyone professes his faith in Jesus as his Lord and Savior, and many of us have done that. So what do we understand then by follow me? That's the question this morning, and I think it can make all the difference in our life of 
faith in our Christian talk, in our Christian walk. Jesus doesn't make this easy. He doesn't say, you should think about following me. He says, you must follow me. If you serve me, you must follow me. That word's important, must. Sounds like an order to me. Sounds like a command. You too? Yeah. So what's he mean? I want to examine that with you for a few moments this morning. And the first point we're going to uh, pursue is, who is Jesus? And then we'll have a second point that's less important, maybe. Who am I? And then our third point is doing what Jesus did. So who is Jesus? And, And John, he really helps us get a hold of this immediately when he gets into his Gospel of John. Because it's right there, it's in the first verse, the first chapter. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Who is Jesus? The Word is flesh. The Word is with God, leaving room for Trinity. Jesus is God. Now, to affirm that the Word is Jesus, we need to go to the 14th verse of that first chapter. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as his only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So who is Jesus? Jesus is God in the flesh. I'll take a... Take a time out here. Take your hands. Just rub your cheeks a little bit, will you? And if you don't want to rub your cheeks, then rub your hands together. Just Okay? Okay. Do you know how important this flesh is? Do you know how important your body is? Think about it. God is flesh. God is body. You know, we live in a strange culture, and increasingly so. This thing's a little bit like the world's turning upside down. And there's this idea that's being presented more and more in this culture that Christianity is spirituality. I don't think so. God is in the flesh. God is in the flesh. So back to this. So why did Jesus come into the flesh? What does the Bible say? What does uh, John say in the first epistle, uh, third chapter, eighth verse? The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the work of the devil. Now what's the work of the devil? The work of the devil is to bring death. That's his claim to fame. That's his power. That's his authority. The authority of Satan is death. So Jesus came to destroy death. 
Jesus came to destroy the devil. We read that uh, in the Bible, Hebrews 2, 14 and 15. Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook of the same things, flesh and blood, that through death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. Who is Jesus? God in the flesh. Jesus set my body free from death. Jesus set my flesh free from death. Yes, Jesus died. Yes, we will die. Yes, I will die. But here's the truth. Jesus died. And Acts 2 tells us that God raised him up. And you know why? Because the devil didn't have the power to hold one sin against him. And God will raise me up. And God will raise you up. And you know why? Because the devil doesn't have one sin he can hold against me. Jesus came in the flesh to bring us life. Jesus walked out of the tomb. In the flesh, he walked out of the tomb. And here's my favorite scripture in the whole Bible. If I may have one. Luke 24, 38 to 43. He says to his disciples, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands, my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and blood, flesh and bones, as you see, I have. And when he said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still, get this, while they still disbelieved with joy and marveled, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and he ate it before them. Ever see a spirit eat fish? And what about you? What about me? 1 John 3 says, we shall be like him. And I love the way the Apostle Paul puts it. He says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will give life to your mortal bodies also through his spirit that dwells in you. Now, when we celebrate this resurrection, when we celebrate this life that Jesus brings, we still need to, and I want to encourage you here, because sometimes there's the carelessness that gets into our walk and into our behavior. We need to take death seriously. When our friends die, our close friends, our friends, 
when they die, it hurts. And it hurts for a very long time. We miss them. But we must respect death as it takes place among us. As people are called to their eternal home Respect those who lose someone dear to them. I learned that lesson in a strange way when I was in my mid-50s, late-50s. There was an old friend of mine. He was about uh, 95, and he was... Pete Seenster was his name, and he was dying in the rest home. I went to visit him, and he was in bed, and he was facing against the wall. I pulled up my chair and sat by his bed. And I talked to him for a little bit, and I read the scriptures, and I had a prayer with him. Meanwhile, he didn't say anything. He just faced the wall. And I what do I do? So I said, "Uh, Pete, Pete, it's okay for you to let go And suddenly Pete turned from the wall directly into my face and he said, you want to go first? (laughs) I learned it at a late age, but I got the point. (laughs) We need to respect those moments. We need to respect death. So my friends... Jesus is the one who brings life. And who am I? I am flesh and blood. And Jesus set me free from death. I am free. Amazing. Our human body, think about it, is already in the heavenly places. Jesus says, I go to prepare a place for you. Yeah. Our body's already there in the presence of God, in the person of God. Who am I? I am his redeemed child. Me, my body, my soul, you set me free, Jesus. You gave me life, Jesus, forever and ever. Hallelujah. So I want to thank him. I want to serve him. I want to profess him. But Jesus says to me, Marvin, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. How do I follow Jesus? By doing what Jesus did. Look at his day. Not simply his purpose of coming into this world to bring life, but look at his ministry from day to day. What did he do? He he met the blind man and he made him see. He gave him life. He met the crippled man and he made him walk. He gave him life. There was a leper and he cleansed him. He gave him life. There was Lazarus, and he raised him from the dead. He gave him life. There were 5,000 hungry people who had followed him all day long. And he took a boy's bag of lunch, and he fed them all. He gave them life. 
when I was in catechism, third grade, believe it or not, we started catechism then in the third grade. <laughs> and I was taught this question and answer. How did Jesus prove he was the son of God? By doing miracles. No, my friends, much more than that, by healing people, he brought life. He brought life. John's full of that. In, in, in the whole story, he says, I am the bread of life. He says, I am the light of life. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is about life. His ministry is about life. And that's what our calling is as we are called to follow him to bring life. I want to I suggest this to you. I've been, been trying to do this in my life. Every morning you wake up and you thank God for another day. Take a moment and ask yourself and commit yourself. How can I bring life to somebody today? And I encourage you in the evening when you lay your head down on that pillow to ask that question, how did I bring life to somebody today? The wounded are all around us. And I think we've never noticed it so much as we do now, having gone through this COVID experience. Kind of opened our eyes to the brokenness of people of our families, of our friends, of our neighbors. Bring them life. A hug can be a good thing for somebody. A kind word. A neighbor who can't pay his bills. Pay his bills. A visit to a lonely lonely soul and after 80 years of walking around in this earth I have learned that there are a lot of lonely people and they're not going to advertise it because loneliness humiliates us but they're there and they're right here bring them life and here's the thing say well I want to bring them eternal life you will. But you got to start somewhere. Jesus started somewhere. He didn't walk out of the tomb the first day he got here. When you bring life, eternal life is on track. You keep moving. And that's, that's really the story about African Widow Orphan Support. And, and, and I, I want to get there, but I want to say one more thing about this, because what's the thing that stands in our way so often of bringing life? You know, Jesus said, if any man would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. You know that one? You know how Bonhoeffer hung on that one? And, and a lot of other people do today, and, and they, they talk about the cross and so forth. 
and some of the misery. And yeah, it's there, but Jesus said, I have come to give them life and to give you life abundantly. So what's that text about, the cross? What's that about? The main point here is, it's not about me. It's not about me. It's about him. You follow him. Okay. Can you say that with me? It's not about me. It's not about me. Thank you. It's about him. It's about him. Thank you. We bring life. We bring life in Jesus' name. And African Widow Orphan Support, we started that in 2011. And we did that because of the terrorists uh, in uh, Nigeria, northern Nigeria, Boko Haram, you've heard the name, uh, affiliated with ISIS. Boko Haram has faded somewhat into the northern part of Nigeria, into Niger, and uh, also into Mali. But a new, a new violent uh, sect of Muslims have come into the area through the broken borders in the north, and they've been educated by bin Laden's 26 training camps in Sudan. And because of the broken borders, they come into northern Nigeria, and they are called Fulani, and the Fulani are the peaceful people. They are nomads, and they march the cows around the country. When I was teaching school in Nigeria, I I had a lot of appreciation for the Fulani, and I still do. But these, these clans that have been educated outside of country have come in and they're settling in with the other Fulani who are uh, indigenous Nigerians and they are bringing with them AK-47s and they're coming into Christian villages at 4 o'clock, 5 o'clock in the morning at dawn when everybody is sleeping and they set their houses on fire and they take their machine guns indiscriminately, uh, killing those who want to stay there and fight, which are the men and the women and the children. They, they run. And when I interview some of these women, the only word I keep hearing them say is, run, I run, I run, I run. And their fathers and husbands, they die because a machete doesn't do it against an AK-47. And the widows and the children are on the street. They have no place to stay, no shelter, no home. Uh, Some of them are angry at God for what has happened to them. Their children are out of school and they are traumatized. Some of my interviews of some of these women, I ask them a question and they can't answer. They're so traumatized they can't talk. And Jesus says, bring them life. Bring them life. 
So with a team of six Nigerians, we bring them trauma therapy, grants of empowerment so they can employ themselves, job training, money management, many banking, a lot of that we work with through our local uh, evangelical Christian churches. We pay the school fees for the children, training programs for couples to take care of the orphans. And all of this is done in coordination with the local Christian churches. And I want to say to you, my friend, thank you. Thank you. God bless you for being part of this ministry. You've just been such a blessing to African Widow Orphan Support. And you may want to know, well, what kind of an impact has this ministry had in Nigeria? Well, first of all, I'll tell you, this is the only rehabilitation ministry in the name of Jesus in northern Nigeria. It's the only one. And there are people that are saying they do ministry there. They do not. The only semblance of any kind of ministry in northern Nigeria by any other organization is a pastor who's sent there who preaches to the widows and orphans. How many, how many widows, how many orphans have been rehabilitated in the name of Jesus? How many Muslim women that we have rehabilitated because they lived with the Christians and their uh, father, husband was also killed? And they came to know Jesus through that love of Jesus. How many? Probably about 40,000 so far. We have recovered by the grace of God and by way of your gifts, by way of Jesus' life. I love Jesus. And I love the life he gives me so that I can give that life to somebody else. May that also be your blessed confession and profession. Thank you for allowing me to be here this morning. Thank you. Shall we pray together?